Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of returning to the stars once again. Here's the thing, they still can't hear you scream out there. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week we are talking about why, you know, why is there no love for FTL 2448? Uh, FTL 2448 is, which is a really long and hard to say game name, but it is a product of TriTac that's had three editions, um, and uh, some of us have every edition uh, of it. Uh, the latest one came out around 1993 in a yeah. two book edition. You know, at the time was massive. I mean, literally, this the cover art spanned both books. So you put them side by side. You had a, this huge panoramic picture of looking out at a space station to all these ships in space around a space station. And it was utterly cool. I, I really liked that cover thing. But uh, the, the sad thing was is that um, you know, lot, lots of game stores didn't get the message. Okay, and so what would happen is that people went and bought the first book and never bought the other two, the other one. Yeah, and so they got literally half a game, uh, and they missed most of the uh, really detailed information about the game world, which was a big which was a big problem at the time. Now, of course, these days it's not uh, it's not such a big issue because everybody prints on PDF. Uh, and therefore, they can be 400 pages and nobody's going to bat an eye. Uh, because at the time, uh, due to economies of scale and such, uh, game books, you, you had to have, first of all, the pages always had to be multiples of eight. Okay, because that's how they were printed on these huge sheets of paper, which were then cut you know, and bond, bond uh, you know, uh, bound together and put out in these perfect, uh, bound books that we called RPGs uh, back in 1993 and later, of course. You could theoretically go over that, but mostly what ended up happening is, is people would end up stopping at just shy of 200 pages. And if they needed another book, they'd do another one of 200 pages, which is exactly what Tritech did. And, um, you know, so as a result, they had to, you know, they split this information into two books rather than just combining into one huge, massive book like Hero 5, which is, you know, you, you can, it literally can stop a bullet. Oh, yeah, no, the fifth edition here. Oh, no, that's a, that's a chunky boy there. Yeah, I haven't picked that one up in a while. <laughs> yeah, that's basically, you know, the Old and New Testament put together. <laughs> <laughs> Family Bible size book here we're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Okay, anyways, so, um, so what we're talking, you know, and, and there really hasn't been a lot that's come out since then uh, about FTL 2448. We'll talk about that a little bit. But, you know, we're, uh, but the main, what we wanted to do was say, hey, you know, uh, Tritac uh, um, Limited uh, has uh, come out with new editions of uh, a, a, a number of games. Uh, they've, They've redone Hardwired Hinterlands. They are working on an incursion. Um, note, I actually spoke to Mel today briefly. And, yeah, um, FTL's not going to be done anytime soon. Just, yeah, they're working on, they want to get Bureau 13 and um, Fringeworthy out, and that will take a while. So, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's, we have 600 yeah. episodes, you know, at least the major chunk of which is about Fringeworthy. So, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a big boy. I'm sure I'm yeah. sure Bureau 13 would be their go to because it's always been their yeah. bestseller. Anyways, yeah. but, uh, you know, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because um, uh, Melody uh, talked about how 
uh, Hardwire Hinterland was Richard's opus. It was his his Shangri-La. It was the book yeah. he was always working toward. But in my mind, FTL 2448 was the best one he ever put out. It was the most expansive. It was the most detailed. Even though, you know, I mean, it had... I mean, it's literally two two books, you know, of and and not just adventures, okay? Like you know, some of the the Bureau Thirteen Extreme and other things like that. It was literally two full books that were necessary to support all the information that was in book one, you know, to support in book two. It was in yeah. a lot of that was in book two. So you know, it really was the biggest game he ever produced. And considering the fact that Richard always took his game system and plugged it in, okay, to every game he did up until, uh, well, in, until after, well, until Incursion, uh, yeah. After that, they 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 didn't use they didn't do that. But uh, until then, that meant, and that was like a hundred pages. Okay, so you had a yeah. hundred pages of game system. You had a hundred pages of actual game background and 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 the information that was necessary to actually play the game. So if you take then the um, the two you know the two hundred plus pages that were in book two, there's three hundred pages of background information at least. Okay, that's there, and we know that there's actually more information than even that. Uh, because there's there's various things that have been put out on the internet, you know, slot slid around here and there, like the art, you know, of uh, of FTL, lost races, and and many other things like that that has basically have been you know delted in. Uh, so, but the point still is is that it was his biggest game, and uh, this game was actually the game that uh, in the. Uh, in a way, was like one of the biggest fights that Tritech ever had back in the beginning because Robert Sadler uh, wanted to do uh, uh, Bureau 13 and Richard wanted to do FDL. And, uh, as, and, and basically, Robert got his way and they did, um, uh, I'm sorry, they did, he did Fringeworthy first uh, before FDL. 50, FDL came out third, actually. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Richard was gnashing his teeth trying to, wanting to get that third game out of there. And there's, and when we were at Richard's funeral, there were so many stories that people talked about FDL and the, the races that were in there and things like that. So you could tell that, you know, that those, those people who played way back when, you know, this, this particular game was really important to them. And at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of other choices. Um... You know the original game when it came out. You know it was it was up against like Traveler. Yeah, that was the other big sci-fi role-playing game back in the eighties and nineties. That was the sci-fi. I mean, there was Metamorphosis Alpha, but compared yeah. to you know to the two, you know, uh, it was you know, and 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 of course, Tritech had the most realistic system of all of them. The things that, which came back to bite them later because people found out that realistic systems are very hard to you know are very detailed and hard to resolve because of all the different things that go into them yeah it was a it was a gift and a curse because i've heard wow these these hit tables are so realistic and then oh my god combat is taking forever yeah. right but so you know I, I having played fifth edition i can tell you that combat has not gotten faster <laughs> Fifth edition of D and D, by the way, not not yeah. yeah. So, anyways, the the point is, is that you know the last full ver the real version of FTL um, was the nineteen like nineteen ninety three. I don't I don't have it right up in front of me. You know that that edition of it, the two book edition. And so we're going to talk about tonight what it is that we think that the next edition should really include. Okay. All right, and we're we're going to avoid, and, and we're, and I'll just say a few things in the beginning, right out of the way, that we don't want to talk about, which is the organization of it. You know, the fact that information was all over the place. That, of course, needs to be fixed. Okay, you know that. It, it, uh, Richard was a terrible editor. You know, lovely man. You know, super super creative. You know, could could make if you needed something resolved, he could make a table on the spot. Okay, but yeah. he he was, 
classically with, with just, you know, you'd be looking for information and he'd mention it in a little story sidebar, like 50 pages away from whatever it is you're looking for. So, you know, as a matter of fact, at one point I'm looking at, at shotgun rules and he says, oh, check back, uh, you know, almost 100 pages, you know, and read this. <laughs> I was like, well, thank God it's there because <laughs> otherwise I never would have looked back 100 pages and so, um, but uh, we're not going to talk about that. I mean, that's you know, that's you know, that, that's something that you know now with you know, uh, there's there's literally software that can help you uh, lay out your your game books a lot better and stuff like that. And 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 hopefully, you know, TriTech will do a much better job if they ever, you know, whenever they do get around to it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyways, uh, so we made up a list of uh, things that I thought would be really great to do and uh the other uh hosts are c contributing what they thought uh jonathan as our newbie baby uh rpg guy even though <laughs> you know he's only had he's only got 20 years into it right jonathan no about 30 at this point but okay <laughs> he just he just doesn't you know he, he doesn't have the the breadth and depth of knowledge you know to to you know Anyway, <laughs> I'm only lacking a couple decades. Yeah, it's like a nice kid. <laughs> I feel like George Burns, you know, when he talks about anybody younger than him. Nice kid. <laughs> the Pope, nice guy. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but anyways, okay. So, uh, but we're going to talk about things we think should be in the game. So, uh, so but let's let's for those of you who've never actually seen this game. All right, let's let's uh, let. Trav just basically describe, you know, the, the basic setting of the game for, for you to understand. All right. It is the 25th century, mid-25th century. Earth has gone out among the stars after a lot of things happening on Earth that, even though this book was written in the early 90s, you could look at it today and see, okay, some of this stuff is starting to happen here. And just, yeah. So Earth becomes part of the galactic community. They meet alien races by one by one. Some of them they find very similar psychological and sociological similarities. Others, it's just, no, you are over there, you're either dangerous or you're too weird. Or And after a while, they sort of come up with a federation kind of group called the Interstellar... Interstellar Scientific Cooperative, I think it's called. Inesco. ISCO. Yeah. No, ISCO. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then ICL is the Interstellar Court of Law, which would be, you know, to try to it'd be akin to Starfleet. But this is a hard science fiction setting. And so you do have faster than light travel. They call it phase drive, and you have various alien races with all sorts of uh idiosyncrasies i guess would be the best way to describe how a lot of them are yeah well um, they're all weird yeah yeah and as a matter uh, of fact they're not weird enough as far as i'm concerned uh, humanity has speciated some because you have grounders and spacers those who are planet side those who live on ships you have lights and heavies due to gravity affecting the body over over time uh you have uplifted animals both primate and cetacean whales dolphins uh orangutans gorillas chimpanzees um and and, and near pets yeah near pets basically you can uplift the family pet to have human intelligence which or near human your, intelligence. Yeah, it it it's good for the dog, the cat. Well, it it's a cat, and just like turning it to eleven. Yeah, uh, now say, I I, I don't want the cat to be intelligent to be yeah, more intelligent yeah. than it already is. I um, mean, can you imagine the 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 unrelentless snark that would be coming? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Lord. Oh 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 yeah. Um, and so humanity is dealing with trade issues and rights for things like, oh, cloning and aliens or um, uh, androids. Androids are available in the setting, but due to events on Earth, you have issues with that. And so 
Rich made it as an every man's game. You're just out trying to make a living, trying to survive out out in 25th century space. And others have come before, and you might stumble upon that. Others are out on the frontier, and they're not necessarily nice. And so you can be part of the ISCO and ICL. You could be independent. You could do this backed by a corporation or heck you can go and be an, a frontier um, a colonist there are many paths that you could have done for this game and the the game breaches even inner city police the cop 2448 campaign model you had where yeah you're in these megalopoli on earth or on other planets and you're just you know a guy walking his beat with his, you know, hover robot dog, you know. So they had Rich made a bunch of various campaign models to fit in this setting. But in the end, you're just normal people trying to get by. Right. It's it's some people have mentioned that it's it's basically overall the tech level that was in the TV show Babylon Five. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not technology so advanced that we don't recognize it in most cases, but there's still enough super science around that you realize that, yeah, there's, there, you know, it's still out there. We just, human beings just haven't got to the point where we understand enough to be able to do, to, 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 to go in that direction. So that means that a lot of these, quote, advanced races are actually giving technology to the, you know, the galactic culture and no one can reproduce it. So you're, oh, you're, yeah, you're getting yeah. plug-and-play type products uh, that you, you, should be, uh, you should be able to plug into, you know, buy and sell and plug into your ships or into other things that you might want to do. And, uh, you know, which is one of the, the points that you know, that I would like improved, which is that, you know, these identifying these, which things are, you know, not, you know, are, are, as I say, super science plug and play stuff so that the player knows that, hey, we, we don't really know how to do this. And that's why our entire technology is not dependent upon it. Yeah, the tech was good, but remember, you know, early 90s is when it was written, so it's like this game, first of all, would benefit from just, okay, what can we extrapolate now, 35 years later? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they don't include a lot of things. For example, there are no beanstalks mentioned in the book. And you know, uh, might might want to explain what you mean by the colloquialism of beanstalk. Okay, I'll let I'll let Jonathan uh, describe that. Okay, yeah. If I'm not uh, mistaken, that's basically kind of like a space elevator, but it's not necessarily an elevator. It's it's an elevator. Memory, it is a space elevator. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, that's space elevator. Uh, basically, it's uh, you have a ground station. Typically, it's uh, around the equator, um, and it's tied basically by a huge series of cables, uh, super, usually you know meant to be super strong, to an orbiting satellite or a space station or rock. In, yeah, true. That's in geosynchronous orbit above the equator, and it's you know meant to get uh, material from the Earth to orbit you know, cheaper than actually having to use a chemical rocket. And not only, you know, cheaper, but faster. Oh, yeah. Because if you have like a, you know, these things are not small. These are large, you know. Oh, yeah, these things are... And, and they have like, you know, multiple trains essentially running up and down them. So if you need to take, you know, a, you know, a, a, a million tons of something up into space... You know that's an awful lot of uh, uh, of uh, nuke, you know, uh, uh, not phase drive, uh, plasma, you know, uh, you know, just just uh, nuclear drive to throw that thing all the way up into space when you could just simply just take the tr put it up the train using 
you know, electricity to drive it up this beanstalk until it gets up into orbit where it can then be easily transferred over into a waiting spaceship that's also mm. docked right there next to the beanstalk. So yeah. that yeah. that's sort of, that was the kind of the idea behind beanstalks. And, you know, it's uh and when beanstalks go bad, they go bad real bad. Okay, Ooh. and the best description I've ever seen of that, uh, well, there's two of them. One was in, um, uh, I believe it was Red Earth, when the um, uh, the Mars first group decides to disrupt the, the beanstalk, and it literally starts falling. Uh, uh, they sever it, and the beanstalk starts falling down onto the, the surface of Mars. Well, you know, the... The first couple hundred miles, it's no big deal. It's just falling down, just thump, thump, thump. But as, you know, this beanstalk is accelerating because it's it wasn't in orbit. It was literally, you know, being held, you know, by something that was in orbit, you know, basically pulling it up, you know. So it's literally falling down. It, it, it you know, it, to... to Whatever you know, whatever you want to call the the terminal velocity, which is very very high, and so the later parts they start hitting the ground with enough kinetic energy to be equivalent of a nuclear bomb, and you oh. can imagine a bomb that's now going to be thousands of miles long. Yeah, these things are big and heavy, and if it's if it's made of, unless you're talking about some kind of magical material, if it's made out of something that follows the rules of physics as we know it. It's going to be somewhat elastic, <clears throat> so it's also going to act like a whip coming down. So the the a very, good, uh, I would say a good visual representation, although it not that much destruction. If you remember the O nine Star Trek, that drill they were using as it fell into San Francisco Bay, but hitting a lot harder. When mm -hmm. when Spock hit shot that drill and it fell down and it was like right next to the Golden Gate Bridge and it just splashed into the water hitting like that but whipping down with a lot of force and as I said that's the best visual representation I could think of something like that now I'm not saying that beanstalks are bad okay I'm just saying is that when they fail they're bad so of course you know any any mature technology spacefaring technology using beanstalks would be you know, they would be ultra safe. They would be, you know, really, really careful about that. It would be very, very hard Redund for Redund someone to blow it up. I mean, there would so there would be contingencies in, in place for that. So, but the point is that there's no, there, there's none. Okay. There's, there's no like ring of, uh, you know, another one, which is kind of like beanstalks, but taken to the nth degree, which is where you have beanstalks every, you know, uh, thousand miles around uh, the planet at the equator and they all go up to a ring of space stations and, and habitats that literally form an orbital you know habitat all the way around a planet and and some people literally live their entire lives in those orbital habitats you know they uh, you know there's no mention of something like that okay the, you know uh, FOMO, uh, the, the, the highest level of tech we see as far as a as a structure is uh, is FOMO. I can't pronounce it right. Uh, Fomo hot. Fomo hot. Yeah, Fomo and hot. Uh, yeah. space station, which has like you know lots and lots and lots of of, of races living in there and and commerce. It's a center of commerce for the area. So you know, and it, it, and you look at the pictures of it, and it's like you're in a uh, airport. It's like you're an airport yeah. walking. <laughs> there, there's yeah. no no sense of the size or or you know you know hot really. And you've got weird aliens walking by and stuff like that. You know it's 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 there, but I'm just saying is that I think in many ways you just didn't get the the full blown thing. So that's where Babylon Five was actually very good at, at bringing that around. You know that kind of thing. That and that of course came after this came out. So. I highly recommend that if you're not familiar with Babylon 5, at least watch a couple of episodes of it, you know, so you can get a better idea of what a uh, a full-blown a full space station and other things, you know, in 2448 would probably be like, you know, so. All right, but 
but speaking of those races, okay, you know, Richard, uh, uh, as with all these Tritag books, they always take a race and they they basically say this is kind of like what their sayings are. This is how long it you know their gestation rate is. This is their size. This is the number of genders, things like that. But uh, a lot of them, it was uh, it was really hard to figure out exactly what their story was. And, and why they liked some races and why they really hated other races. And you really had to read the, the entire book, especially the second book, to find out some of these historical facts of where it would say this race literally destroyed this other race. But now they're, you know, out there, you know, in commerce together. But just like elves and dwarves, old hatreds die hard. There was a massive there was a massive timeline in the first book that covered, you know, the 500 years of history, you know, basically modern day. And so you'd have to look in there to try to find like, oh, the the not the Barlow. They were like orangutan peaceful, I forget the name, but the Kimnar which in this race a feeloid version of Klingons, honorable warriors, but they were upright they were the Kazinti. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, 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 okay. And uh, from the known space series uh, of yeah. books. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you had you had to look through the timeline, you would get a lot more information about ancient rivalries and this like this race didn't like that race and ISC had to come in and because they had I I didn't count them all up. But when you, uh, but there was, I would say there's at least fifty races, in, oh, yeah. in these two, you know, combined between these two books in the, especially if you bring in the lost, the lost races. I'm not sure. I didn't go through and say how many that's in that lost racing actually did make it into the book. Yeah, probably a dozen and a half, like seventeen, eighteen different races. I mean, some of them are between the two. Well, just the Lost Races side thing that Rich made. Yeah, Yeah. so I'm just saying, there's like 50 races. So, you know, when you're trying to come up with some kind of an idea of what the, uh, uh, you know, what, what the cultural mix is on on a galactic level, you know, it's it's hard without, you know, you know, without a scorecard, <laughs> literally. You know, so um, that's why I'm saying is that it would be very helpful to... Uh, uh, you know, to, to, to enhance, instead of having one page, it should be like one section, maybe three to four pages that, you know, gives each of the races their own little timeline, you know, talks more about the worlds that they, you know, uh, the, 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 that they may have personally been in control of, because we don't know that. I mean, when you, even when you use, you know, the, uh, the book, uh, you know, the star chart and things like that, it doesn't say who's, you know, the predominant race, you know, in this solar system. And I figure that in most solar systems, there would be a predominant race. So, and we're not even, and as you said, we're not even including the the near pets and the uplifted animals and the heavies and the lights and, and, and just the standard, you know, uh, human normals you know, that are, you know, from yeah. Seoul, you know, from our solar system. So I'm just saying, so there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of opportunity there for them to really, you know, create a better integration. So, uh, uh, and, uh, I, and that's going to be a lot of work for someone to do, but I think it'll pay off because you'll be able to make richer stories because, you know, you'll understand what these races care about and that will help you to help the GM to design stories that the the characters would care about. Yeah, um, when I ran my FTL Pathfinder game probably about a year and a half ago now, um, so I I you know let my two players or three players at the time, Carrie, Amber, and Gina, all look at this, and they, that's it. That it's a page for everything about the race. I'm like. Yeah, so there was a lot of stuff that we had to extrapolate, and we've done there. There are various we've done uh, extrapolating of races. This was a long time ago, back when Jay was on the podcast. But me and my players had to extrapolate based on that one page 
stuff for these races. And let's see, we did a Zath, a Kimnar, a Grex, and then my NPC Tugan. Yeah, we had to extrapolate a lot just from that one page because that's all we had. And so that, that yeah, expanding the races, definitely. Now, the Fritzians and the Krelvins that you mentioned, um, yeah, I just made that. No, those races are NPC races. You were not playing those. Just no. Um, the Fritzians and the Krel- Krelvins are basically like last of the two elder races that are watching the current galactic community rise to power and glory. And like, no, no, don't go to that sector. That's a bad sector. Um, no, don't, you know, don't mess with that race. We put them there for a reason. And yeah, it's just, they were NPC races. Those two, you could give a little more history on their background, but I, I would still leave them as just, NPC races, right? I agree. Uh, I think it's. Yeah. I think it's actually very, uh, very funny that you mention you, you, that you talk about the uh, Krelvins as 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 a shepherding race because what they're known for more than anything else as being just consummate practical jokers. Yeah, the running thing I described to Carrie, Amber, and Gina about the Krelvins. You go to them and say, "Okay, I I would like to have." Broader shoulders, darker hair, and, you know, maybe, you know, better teeth. I can do all that and add a tail. No, no, I don't want the tail. I just want the hair, the eyes, the teeth. You sure? I got a special on tails. I can grow you one. No, I don't want a tail. Just And that's how they were. And then you still end up getting like a nub or something on the back. You know, just, yeah, they... The uh, you you, you yeah. don't know you want it, but you want it. I'm just going to throw that on there for free. Yeah, yeah, your 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 phenotype says no, no, but your wallet says yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. and 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 you're sitting there, okay, it, 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 afterwards in a normal conversation, and you suddenly realize that the side of your neck is itching, and you you raise your foot up and start scratching the side yeah. of your head like you're a dog, and you're yeah. like, what the. Yeah. Where did that come from? I've never done that before in my life. Everyone's looking at you saying, um, do you need yeah. some private time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And because, and, you know, yeah, they, they, they threw in some, uh, uh, some, some dog, um, uh, I guess instincts or things like that, you know, yeah, you, yeah. They, you wanted the eyes and, you know, especially when you say, I want to be a cat girl. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh no, they would be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll make you a def- cat girl. Right. But and, and yeah. Yeah. Just with the, the definitely. Yes. More on the races, just extrapolating more. Yeah. Right. And be, and they, by the way, there, there are charts, you know, a couple pages of charts about making your own custom races, by the way, in, in, in book two. So yes, if you want cat girls, you can have cat girls in, uh, you know, whole cat society. Okay. Uh, you can, you know, the, the, the game totally supports the idea of new races, you know, but if you, if they if Tritac did go out and actually you know give more information or at least consolidate the information into a more coherent you know mass so that you you, you felt like you knew everything that was important to know about Kimnar or everything that was important to know about uh, the Borcha, which was the bear-like race that was one of the first ones that humans ran yep. into, where we literally found ourselves with a race that was us under the skin. You know they were yeah. they were big bear like but they were just like us drinking beer farting you know, <laughs> doing that stuff you know and hanging around you know uh, uh, and watching watching sports it, it was it was literally you know the, a brother on uh, not uh, on another mother uh, so yeah the, I'm just saying that that's that's something that I think is going to really drive a lot of of, of stories. You know, and it's and we we have a tendency, especially back in the day, to go and say, "Well, your job is what's going to drive the story." And as you mentioned, they they list a whole lot of campaign models, campaign paths. You know, interstellar search and rescue, um, inter, uh, interstellar uh, exploration, interstellar commerce. Though interstellar commerce is in fact the default campaign for the entire yeah, book yeah. everything dovetails into that rather than the other ones 
interstellar spying and military. I mean, so, you know, and those are, and a lot of that is highly detailed in the second book. You know, I was, you know, you know, I haven't looked at these these books for uh, years, uh, and I was amazed as I went through it how much information was there that I had forgotten was there. So, you know, I, I'm just saying it's it's there's some amazing stuff that they 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 help you create you know scenarios by using that stuff. But it's still based on the idea that you are your job. You know, you, your your character is built to do this job, and every interaction you have is going to be focused on that campaign model rather than a more naturalistic interaction between the races that you might come into contact with. So uh, I would like to see more of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. It just... Yeah, I never realized it worded like that. Yeah, they basically you you were your job. That's what how you you know interacted with the universe. Yeah, right. Most oh. games are that way. You 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 buy a role playing game that lets yeah, you do yeah. something. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a dungeon delver. That's A D and D. Okay. You know? Yes, you could yeah. use it for other things, but that's what it's designed for. You know, and uh, or I'm a I'm a a raider of of, of lost high tech tombs in in Gamma World. You know, or of course, if you play Fallout, you know you're you're mostly a, a, a well. What are you? You, 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 you? Well, no. Usually, you have a, a a quest, and you're searching the landscape for anything that can help you complete that quest. Yeah, and everything else is based on that quest. You might be able to do other things, but your quest is who you are. Yeah, it's it's it, it drives everything. So you know, especially in in the early games where you know it was it was the two D versions where they literally you know the yeah you know, if you went back to a place you'd been before you know and you'd you'd run through all the dialogue trees they were just kind of like hey how you doing <laughs> you know, no there was nothing else that was going to happen there you know so yeah which is which is why tabletop RPG is always the best all right. Uh, uh, you mentioned a little bit about robots and androids, uh, Travis. Do you do you know much about that? Uh, well, they had like dumb AIs. Uh, they did have androids. The androids did have to go through civil rights, and basically because you know there was a mass. I mean, it was android wars basically, and they finally said, "Yeah, you got your sentience." Problem is, the androids said, "You know what?" At, like the song says, F this stuff, I'm out. They went into space because they didn't want to deal with Earth and its laws. And a lot of androids became spacers. But I do remember there is, they had the dumb AIs, which a lot of them just talked about what they did. Now, your best example, if you are a fan of Red Dwarf, the infamous talky toaster bit. That was the type of dumb AIs that uh, were like, okay. yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. You know, with that famous ending like, oh, so you're a waffle guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but they had a lot of those. Uh, as I said, in the COP 2448 campaign model, they had like hover robot dogs that, you know, could sniff and detect bombs and do all the stuff dogs. Because you had near pets, so it's like, why would we want to put living animals through this? Just make a robot dog with all the, all the stuff, you know, bomb detection, scent, you know, tracking drugs, and just put in a little hover chassis and kind of make it look canine. Um, uh, yeah, so they had also like power armor and stuff like that. He hinted of that. No, he didn't hint. People, it's there. Yeah, but I mean, all it is, I think it's for like, Again, for the COP twenty four forty eight. Exactly. Thing. That's that's yeah. one of my that's one of my points here is that you know you you go into the first book you you get the same chart they've been using for every game that they put out and and you know unless you start just layering it up like crazy armor is pretty ineffective against some of the more major type things you know yeah and uh, but when you get the COP supplement. You know they have cop they have cop power armor and it has you know where before you might have had maybe ten maybe twenty points of protection it's got sixty 
And you're like, well, I could stand up to something. Someone could throw a grenade and I could just, you know, raise my arm and, you know, and, and block my, cover my face and I'd be okay. And the yeah. answer is yes, you would be, you know, I mean, outside of just some possible, you know, cascade failures, but yeah. And, and, and the picture that they have in the, in the book doesn't show somebody like, you know, just completely covered over like, you know, a hard case thing where it's like a space suit. You know, like you're a robot. There's a robot, but you're inside of it. It looks like a person wearing armor, you know, with a helmet on and a faceplate, but still a person. So that power armor is, uh, it has it all built inside. It's, you know, it has the ability to, you know, lift like, has a strength of 50, which is like three times the normal strength of, of, of the most strongest human being that's ever lived. So, you know, and that was normal armor tactical situations, not walking around investigating stuff. But if you got into a situation where you were gonna, you know, you were facing combat, and, I, and, I, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, this needs to be in the game. This needs to be the rest of the game. I mean, who's not going to want to buy that? And who's not going to, what bad group is not going to want to get their hands on some of this and use it to rob their local bank? So, you know, I, I you know, but again, that's, I don't want to spend too much time talking about stuff that should, that's in another section that should have been somewhere else. I, I'd, I'd like that all to be, to integrated. But, you know, we don't, I can say one thing though, is they don't need more weapons. They got plenty of weapons in this game. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> and there's yeah. a huge variety of them. You know, uh, it's, it's not just your standard slug throwers and your, uh, and your lasers. Okay, which is pretty much the way most games go. They've got radiation weapons. They've got microwave weapons. They've, they've got this one called a blaster, which I think is a really cool concept. And what it does is it creates an explosion on the surface of whatever target you, you, you aim it at. So it, it's like, you know, it creates a, I don't know, it, it, the, the air explodes, a super cavitation. I don't know what happens, but it's, uh, it's nice in that, you know, you, you, you literally, it's a way of delivering uh, an explosive like a grenade without actually having to throw one. I'm sure it was probably something along the lines like a mini fusion reaction that as soon as it hits a target, the, the atoms go together and releases that energy. Yeah, well, it's like a beam cool. weapon. I mean, you aim it, you pull the trigger, and then whatever you're, you know, you're aimed at, line of sight, it has that explosion on it. So I don't know how they, they that I don't know the science behind it, if there is any, but I thought that was a cool weapon. You know, and of course they got neuralizer type weapons and you know, and other things like that. So they got plenty of weapons in a large variety, and they got different versions based upon some of the races. You know, of all the things that you'd want to say, well, what's their this race's version of this? Weapons is the one that we we have in this game. <laughs> Lots of different versions of weapons. There's the Kimnar version, you know, and of, of a lot of weapons because uh, they're they're very combatant. Uh, but um, but like I said, you know, uh, uh, more expanded armor would be good. Uh, shields. There are no shields uh, except on ships. There are no you know, and I and I think there's one scenario that Richard did run for us at a convention one time. You know, they actually gave us a little you know, a little shield around our, our base camp, you know, because we were set up in, we were doing a cops game and we were set up in, uh, uh, in the essentialist, basically Southern Bronx, nothing to say bad about Bronx, but I'm just saying it was in the game. It wasn't a nice place. And, uh, we were expected to be attacked by, um, a gang members. And it was a place for us to, you know, to hold up and rest. You know, we could turn this thing on. It was good for like 20 hours. So they did have some shields, but you don't see like you see in Mass Effect. Thank you. Yes. Uh, you know, they don't have all, you know, you're not putting your hand up and there's a shield and basically it's blocking the shot and stuff. Now, if you don't want to do that, which is okay, okay, that's where some of those robots, be, you know, would have been very helpful because they don't have any drones because drones weren't a thing back in 1993. But drones flying around a human could be very, you know, a, a cop or somebody who's military could be very helpful. They could literally get in the way of a shot. Someone fires yeah. a, a grenade at you, drone 
goes and commits suicide protecting you. Boom, it blows up yeah. against the drone. Without having to go into super high tech, like, you know, things like a utility fog or something like that. Something that a Krellin would use. Okay. Um, so, you know, think, so you, you literally have things flying around being your protection, okay, uh, without being so high tech as, as to go into the next level of, which would be like Star Trek. Another thing I really liked in a, uh, in, in a show called Almost Human, I think it was, they had these robots, Okay, and they uh, they essentially would only fire um, uh, on on opponents if a cop, a human cop, ordered them directly to do so. So what would happen is is that you would go out there with your robot buddy. If the firefight broke out, the the humans would immediately jump around behind the robots and use them as shields, mobile shields. And then from back there, they'd like peek around the robot, and they would like tell them to things like fire, you know, fire a, uh, a tear gas grenade over over there, or return fire with your your slug thrower, or 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 whatever. They the robots were dumb. They did they couldn't act on their own. But at the same time, is that there was this obvious you know uh, symbiosis going between the police officers or the military, okay, and these robots. And I thought that was really a cool thing that they did in that it was either the show or a movie. And I could really see that as being part of, of, uh, uh, of well, the, the, mil the combat landscape of 2448. Oh, God. Uh, Beyond the Wire with Anthony Mackie had these combat automatons, and I forget the name of, I think, Champs or tramps or chumps or something like that and they were basically human form roll clunky looking robots holding you know assault rifles and they would go out and it'd be a dumb ai commanding them and everything yeah stuff like that yeah um yeah be because part of the background as you mentioned in ftl 2448 is that uh earth has as it has essentially said we don't want any ai you know, uh, on Earth, uh, we don't want any androids on Earth. There, you know, they don't have well, any real rights on Earth. Okay, uh, they 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 had AIs, but as long as they knew, quote unquote, knew their place, i.e., they were AIs for appliances, your vacuum. You had smart houses. You had things like that. Right, but we're not talking about that level of AI. We're not talking about yeah. a smart system. Okay, yeah, sure, you'd expect that. Okay, but I'm saying, but free-thinking AIs like true androids, no, no, they, they, they had, they were off-planet, uh, you know. You, but and you could be somebody like that, especially if you were like, you know, if you're using Savage Worlds as your system of choice with the game, uh, and you know, because that's one of the templates is is Android. So you know, I, I know there's lots of people who say, "Well, I want to be an Android because I don't have to breathe and all this other stuff like that." It's a big advantage to me, you know. And it's like, okay, fine, you know. But you could go to Earth. Earth would not let you land. I mean, you know, they, they wouldn't let you out of your spaceship <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Basically, yeah, basically, I'm on the Android page here, and yeah, they were made as a workforce until they started. originally, yeah, until yeah. they started becoming sentient, and we want more, and it was a revolt. Right. And the humans didn't realize, you know, they, yeah, we're going to ban the production and order all units destroyed. And the androids fought to save themselves. And mm -hmm. then they went legal means. After about 50 years, they went to the courts and they won the right for freedom and equality. And they just left Earth. Yeah. Some have gone to social work and very few into religion seek the answers of who they are and where they are going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But. Yeah, they they just left Earth because they realized, yeah, we may have been made in humanity's image, but every time we look at them, they're still going to be resentful toward us. Yeah, dad dad hates us. Yeah. Yeah, we we have no family there, you know. So. Shades of the mechanoids here. Yeah. Now the um, yeah, oh yeah. Now the ironic part of all this is is that Earth was perfectly fine with cyborgs. Ah, yes, augments, yeah. Augments, are they are perfectly fine, and there's nothing in the game, in the game system currently, about augments, okay, other than, like, a paragraph about it. Yeah, yeah, they have, 
the, the same type of stats and everything, but they don't go into what are all the type of, I mean, they list stuff, but it's pretty much you're kind of left on your own for. Right. You have to basically go and out. grab your, you know, grab the uh, high tech GURPS books or cyberpunk or things like that, because all that stuff would be available, would, would be appropriately teched. I mean, you know, let's face it. Cyberpunk is way too high tech for its, its time period it is supposed to be. So it 500 years of the future makes a lot more sense for this kind of tech. So yeah. So if you want to be a cyborg, that's fine. And the only time that they mention, I don't know if they actually mention it or they just show it is with the uplifted animals because a lot of them need, you know, various types of helper things to, you know, I mean, like the dolphins, they need an actual arm that works, you know, because those flippers just ain't going to do it. And uh, so, you know, as, uh, actual cyborg arms and things like that, or, you know, and, and hooking into uh, uh, mo uh, mobile uh, things, like you mentioned the dogs, you know, I mean, uh, you know, for the, for the cops, you know, those kinds of things, you know, are are mentioned but i'm just saying is that there's not a lot of information about it but it's there's no reason why this wouldn't be available and if someone decided to chop off their right arm and replace it with an all-purpose you know toolkit because they want they're an engineer and they're doing a lot of fabrication and they want the right tool when they want it perfectly okay for that to happen oh kind of like um uh thunderbolt from the, the rapper that was in the book of Boba Fett. He was the cyberneticist that upgraded Fennec Shannon. He just had the whole arm that had the different attachments he just put on to, you know, augment people. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there's no reason why that wouldn't be, a, you know, there wouldn't be people like that. Now, some people, and it, there also, there's no reason why you wouldn't have the ability to decide at some point, well, okay, I, I, I want to, I, I now have a different job. I, I, I need my real arm back and just have a clone arm grown and then replaced because they did have uh, at least partial cloning available. Yeah. It was to clone body parts and regrow organs. Oh, you have a defective heart. Okay. We'll just regrow your new one based on stem cells and you're good to go. We'll implant it. We'll make sure it works. You're out the door in a week. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying is that, you know, a lot, a lot of that needs to be clear that, you know, this kind of thing, because it's not real clear other than they didn't have the auto docks that they have in Incursion, because that's like Star Trek technology or above oh, it. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, they had, wait. but they did have a lot, you know, they did have considerable. And, it's, and I think in a lot of ways it wasn't real clear until you get to the uh, uh, the campaign model of the uh, emergency medical care, you know, uh, rescue people, where they yeah. get a lot more clear as to what they can do for you. Well, wait a minute. Let me look here. I will go to the medical part in book one here real quick. But you might also want to check book two. Uh, no, right here, page 20, well, 29 for the book, 33. Yeah, they had autodocs. Oh, yes, but what yes. the, what the auto doc could do compared to the auto doc, you know, come on. In, 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 oh, an incursion, in, yeah. In oh, incursion, no, the, the auto doc could bring you back from the dead if you'd been dead a week. Yeah, the, yeah, it was god tech compared to these. They had to tone it down for the scale of the game. Yeah, it is actually in many ways a lot like the. Uh, sadly, I consider you know poor medical technology of Star Wars. Yeah, like the back to tank. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the back to tank and what they were doing to you know, to sew uh, Luke, um, not Luke. Uh, yeah, Luke up. You know when he lost his hand and other things like that. You know, also um, uh, if you saw Starship Troopers, uh, he's at one point he's you know getting himself stitched up in a, in a tank like that, and you know, they got this robot that's just basically going back and forth, back and forth, sewing up his leg like a sewing machine. So yeah, that kind of stuff, uh, that kind of robotics, there should be a lot of that, you know. So, um, and it's it's I, I think it, you know it, to me it, it it would be nicer if it was clear that that was there, and maybe that's yeah they need maybe they need to upgrade their their illustrations to sh to show not tell, which would be fine. 
Yeah. But, you know, just just to bring up the ideas that this is the kind of things that they that they can do for you. So when you get into situations where you're putting yourself at risk, you know, and maybe you're you know, you might run into that laser beam that could cut you in half. Maybe it's a risk worth taking because they can fix you. <laughs> so anyways. Yeah. But, we're, we're talking about tech here. There's something else that bugged me, and it was just things that I looked at it, and when I tried to run FTL back in the day, it was just, I'm not even messing with this. Everything about the ships, ship combat, ship building, all of it just, it seriously needs to be redone. Just it, And it, it just, I look at, okay, I want to try to build a ship by this system. And it just was not conducive to, plug and play easy do it together i mean they had costs for everything and all that but you had to have even as a player some type of technical acumen in order to build a ship in the game right yeah it's um uh i i did it you know i mean i i tried it okay and and, and the thing is that you get into those sections of it, and and they they literally, as you said, they've got cost of wire by the twenty by yeah. you know, per twenty foot. You know, mm -hmm. whether it's it's copper, whether it's uh, data cable, whether it's whatever, and the pipes, the conduits they're supposed to carry the wires hither and yon throughout the ship, and they uh, list the prices for those things, and I'm like going, well, how much of this do I need? Who knows? Yeah, see, <laughs> okay. The big stuff, sure. Okay, so, you know, here's a habitation pod, and it can provide life support for 20 people, you know, of Earth normal. You know, well, if they're outside of Earth normal, what is their, you know, what what is the, you know, how does that change the requirements? You know, you know how big of a power plant do you need? Is the power plant... You know, that you use for these kinds of things are this is it separate than the general power plant for the ship you know so if like for example you know the ship's power source that runs the uh the fusion drives and the uh and 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 the 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 phase drives into jump space you know if uh if that goes down does that mean that you know air stops running you know so the information was there, but as you said, unless you were an engineer yourself, you know, there needed to be some kind of a, uh, um, you know, a, some kind of a chart where you could just say, yeah. And they could have done that by simply going, and when they got to the, the, the sample spaceships, they could have said, okay, this has this type of this and this type of this and all these things. So you could get some idea of what are the major pieces that are in these ships, what was considered appropriate for those ships. Which, of course, one of the reasons why Tritech's probably not going to bring this game out for quite some time. Because, you know, if they, because if they don't want to do that, then they basically are, are just going to take this section out of the book. You know, just say, hey, it was great 1993, but, you know, we're it's too much trouble to deal with now. And I hope they don't. Yeah, Bruce, you said that it would take an engineer. I just looked at the technical advice people in the table of contents. Or a certain technical writer of our acquaintance. Yeah, John Ryer worked on the, and you know how, and we love him dearly. We miss you, John. How nuts and boltsy he could get. <laughs> oh yeah, we we uh, I, I was that he was one of the ones we were talking together about uh, about that, saying let's let's try to build a ship, and he was going on about stuff, and I oh, was yeah, just I lost. Oh, that was oh that was an episode from way back. Yeah. Also, uh, Chris Biting, a uh, professor down at uh, South Bend University. Yeah, okay, no, they, 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 a couple of, yeah. Flash Jervis? Uh, he wasn't in technical advice. I'm sure he was in here, but he wasn't in the technical advice. Oh, no, he was, the, he was the computer tech. Okay, yeah, that right. explains See, that. See, I'm just saying. So, we, there's certainly been no dearth of technical advisors, you know, for, for this game. But they had to, they had to bring it down to where a non-tech-based person, as I'm flailing my hand here wildly, 
would understand what the hell's going on. Right, and they they didn't do that. So yeah. you know, and uh, you know, which is which is one of the reasons why that stuff I believe is in book two. You know, and I, I myself, you know, after you know, I finally went to my wife and I said, "Hey, you know, this is this is crazy." You know, I uh, I really want to uh, uh, I want to be able to build a starship. How do I do that? You know, is there something out there I could use? And I actually uh, she she bought me this book uh, from another game system that basically just lets you build spe spaceships. But I, I always looked at that saying, you know, there's you know, it just seems like I should be able to do this. And there's so much information here. I really wish, you know, I, I could I could I could you know I could do it with this with this game. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier Podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.